Hello, hello, hello. It's uh, the first episode of, a, of my new podcast. My name is Bubba Wheat from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights. And this podcast is called It's Time to Rewind, where I look at time loop movies one loop at a time. And this is the first season where I'm looking at Groundhog Day after day after day after day after day. And my guest for this first episode, where we're looking at February 1st, where we see Phil do his weather forecast before driving down to Punxsutawney with his new producer Rita and cameraman Larry to film tomorrow's Groundhog Day event from Forgotten Filmcast and the, his podcast Walt Sent Me, Todd Liebenau. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for, so much for having me on this first episode. I feel really honored. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while since I've been uh, since I've done a podcast. Uh, my previous one was FilmWise, and I think that the last episode I recorded of that was uh, a few years ago already. I'm a big fan of time loops in general, and I'm really uh, excited to to start this new podcast. And uh, hopefully, there will be multiple seasons where I look at different time loop movies here in the future. Since this is a time loop podcast and not just a Groundhog Day podcast, let me ask you, what's your background with uh, time loop movies? Like, what do you think of the overall concept of the time loop? I think it's a lot of fun. I, I, I got to admit, I think Groundhog Day was my first exposure to the concept of a time loop. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's the perfect film to start with here because it's it's the best, I would say, of, of the time loop movies that I've seen. Uh, but, uh, you know. Of the ones I've seen, I enjoy a lot of them. I, I, I like that concept, uh, the idea of the time loop. So, you know, I, I've enjoyed several of the ones that I've seen, but I, I got to admit, I, there's a, there's several out there that I haven't seen. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll be going on this journey with you and checking out some of these other films I've never seen before. But in, in my opinion, Groundhog Day is kind of the gold standard when it comes to this this type of movie. Uh, it's it's the top of my list when it comes to not just time loops, but time travel movies in general. I, I have so much fun with this movie. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's obviously why I chose Groundhog Day to start this off with, because not only is it the, one of the best, if not the best, it's also one of the first, um, you know, doing I haven't really dived too deep into the different time loop movies and, and TV episodes I've obviously seen quite a few, like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they did a Groundhog Day episode, and Supernatural had a Groundhog Day episode. Pretty much any sci-fi movie, if it goes on for at least you know four seasons or more, is going to have its own time loop uh, episode in there. Mm. And uh, but before Groundhog Day, I I really only saw a couple other um, movies that featured the time loop. One was the uh, an 80s version of The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which uh, a more popular version came out as an anime just a few years ago. And then the other one was um, the second movie, and it's Beautiful Dreamer, and uh, it's another anime movie. Uh, people who are familiar with, with that anime series, it's uh, probably familiar with the main character's name is Lum. That, that's about the only thing I remember. Mm. She's like an alien with green hair. 
<laughs> I am not up on anime at all. I know that uh, my kids do watch several anime shows. I think, you know, there's a bunch of them on, I don't know if it's Netflix or Hulu or what. And, you know, they, they're much more into that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I always just kind of, I don't know, I, I can appreciate aspects of anime, but a lot of times I watch it and I go, why is everybody screaming all the time? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you ask a non-anime fan to, to to describe the movie Akira, and it's, uh, you know, it's two people yelling, Kaneda, Tetsuo, oh. Kaneda. I watched Akira for the first time uh, last year, I think, during pandemic, and I th- it was one of those movies that, you know, like, again, I appreciated it on a certain level. You know, I, I thought there was some fantastic, you know, visuals and artwork, but I, I was so confused. I was just like, oh, man, I just need to lay down and rest for a while because I don't know <laughs> what I just watched. It's definitely a head trip and not necessarily the, the best entry for to anime for non-anime fans just because it, it is such, such a mind trip. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk just a little bit about you know, the the structure of, of time-lip movies in general, because I, I think a lot of them do tend to, to follow a the same similar structure. And I, I think I, I'm actually surprised because Groundhog Day doesn't follow it quite as closely as, as I thought it might. But generally you have the, the lead-up to the time loop, which is going to be like the longest section uh, of the story, and then you have the first repetition, which is going to be slightly shorter because you're going to hit on a lot of the same things that you hit on the, on the, the first first time around mm-hmm. with a lot of callbacks. And then you just get and then it keeps getting shorter and shorter until they figure out what's causing the time loop or how to break the time loop. And then the loops start getting longer and longer again until you get to the final one, which is the longest. Does that sound does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, like you say, this movie does things a little differently uh, than that in some aspects. I, I think one of the things that I appreciate about Groundhog Day a lot is that we never know why the time loop happens. There, there is no deep explanation of, of what caused it or, you know, all of that. So, you know, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about this film is that it doesn't waste time, you know, trying to, to analyze it and break it down. It just kind of happens. <laughs> yeah. Like um, I would say that the vast majority of time loop movies would be considered sci-fi movies because it's something that happens a lot in, or it's something that's easy to explain away in you know, deep space, uh, far future settings, because it, it can be some sort of alien technology or some sort of technology that's making this happen. But yeah, Groundhog Day, there's no explanation. In fact, it, it's not even really a sci-fi movie at all, because the only thing sci-fi about it is the time loop. But it's not explained, and it's barely even really commented on. He's just... Mm-hmm repeating the the day over and over for some unknown reason yeah well and uh you know not to jump too far ahead here but like some other time loop movies where they do discover what's going on here have kind of disappointed me in that way like um you know perhaps this is in your future here but uh happy death day is a movie that i enjoyed uh you know i thought it was a deep combination of the time loop thing and you know a slasher movie and then there was the sequel which has some enjoyable aspects but then they explain 
why it's happening, sort of, you know, and, and I was kind of like, oh, I liked it better when I didn't know why it was <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you can also get uh, a movie that explains it relatively well. I, I, I know it's, I think it, some people might disagree with me, but I I felt like Edge of Tomorrow explained its time loop relatively well. Like I, I, I watched mm. it once or twice and I at least felt like I understood it and it made sense to me, like within the sci-fi context of the movie, uh, even though a lot of people didn't like how they explained away the ending. It's a movie I need to rewatch again. I remember enjoying it at the time, uh, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. I mean, you know, you gotta, you, I mean, what's not to enjoy about seeing Tom Cruise being killed multiple times, you know I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's something that that movie does really well. It really plays against his likable, but almost too likable to a point of, of annoyance personality in a, in a lot of his <laughs> movies. Yeah. And he, he definitely gets his comeuppance quite a bit uh, in that movie. Groundhog Day, you know, it came out in 1993. It stars Bill Murray, directed by Harold Ramis. We're talking about the first day, which is uh, last seven minutes and 26 seconds, the February 1st. It's mostly credits, and uh, we get to see Phil's weather forecast. Uh, what do you think of Phil as an actual weatherman? Because this, we only get to see <laughs> him do a weather report, really just this time, because the other, the other. His other one is more about the Groundhog Day Festival. It's funny. He comes across as quite abrasive, uh, you know, in this. And, uh, you know, I was as I was rewatching it, I thought, you know, I, I, I wonder if he would really be that popular with viewers of the 10 o'clock news or whatever, because, you know, he seems like he's annoyed with having to be there and things like that and you know i mean that's that's part of the character you know i mean we, we see the development of that as it goes there i i do like a lot of the things that that happened during the weather report thing i mean y you got to figure with it being bill murray that it was probably improvised in large part and you know just the idea of putting bill murray in front of a a green screen where you're doing the weather report and just letting him you know, kind of play with it and, and, you know, come up with jokes along the way. I mean, you know, that's, that's a great opportunity right there. And, and I, I think there are some, some funny moments there during that opening, but yeah, if you were a real weatherman, I, I'm going, I, I don't know that he would last that long because he doesn't seem to be that likable. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, hey, there's not too many weather, weathermen, especially ones that have been on the job for, at minimum four years because he's been to the Groundhog Day Festival for the past four years in a row and, uh, you know, calls the Stormfront this big blue thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he, he spends a lot of time kind of talking about the weather in other parts of the country. <laughs> you know, he's like talking about out here in California, they're going to be doing this. The high in the nation today is in Nevada. You know, this stuff is going on here. And I'm going, what, what, what do the people in Pittsburgh care about that? You know? <laughs> yeah. And whenever he gets to the, the five day forecast, which, which we don't see on the screen, but I imagine, you know, it's, it's just the graphic that takes up the whole screen while he's walking from the blue screen back to the chair. Uh, mm. He's just, you know, he doesn't really say anything about it. He's just kind of talking around it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, again, it's, it's one of those things I think that plays into the character, you know, it kind of communicates that he's a little full of himself. He's kind of bored with what he's doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, a few moments after this, he talks about how he's, you know, there's a network interested in me and, and, you know, this is probably the last year I'll be doing the groundhog thing, you know, so he, he thinks, you know, Pittsburgh is some hick town and he's anxious to get out of there. So. Yeah, which it's almost worse that he knows that there's a network interested in him for him to turn it off now. You know, you would think that if the network is interested in him, then they would be more likely to see what he's doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that would be the time for him to be on his A game because, hey, a network's interested in me. I might be leaving. There's no deal signed yet, so I need to be doing my A game so I that way, if they watch me, they'll be like, yes, I want him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and he clearly kind of seems like, I, I don't know, like his co-workers kind of fear him in some ways. I mean, you've got the the other weatherman, the guy that, you know, fills in on the on the uh, the broadcasts or, you know, maybe he does the morning shift and, you know, has to get up early in the morning and Phil does the more glamorous times. You know, he seems like he's just kind of like trying to to not upset Phil and he, you know, he wants, he wants to just, you know, be, you know, make sure everything is calm and all that. I mean, even the anchor lady who he interacts with, I mean, he, he calls her hairdo, I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, and she's just like, eh, you know, no big deal. You know, that's just Phil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, you get to see him at a point now versus where he ends the movie is two different, very different Phil's. I wasn't able to like um, to listen to the director's commentary because um, that Harold Ramis does a commentary on the Blu-ray release of the movie, mm. uh, but I, I don't believe it's on any of the previous DVD releases. Uh, but I, I have done some listening to other podcasts talking about Groundhog Day where they do their research. You know, he does talk about how Bill Murray would ask often whenever they're shooting, "Am I good, Phil, or am I bad, Phil?" Uh-huh. Uh, before shooting the day's scenes, just to know where he is in in the movie. And, and I think he does go from being bad Phil to being good Phil. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of, as I watch it at times, I, I, I picture myself like, you know, in Larry's shoes or something like that and just think, boy, this guy's putting up with a lot, you know? <laughs> this, is, this is not easy to work with, this guy. And of course, today's... Uh, the day ends with Larry saying, did he just call himself the talent? Yeah. <laughs> so that that really just puts a capper on the kind of ego that, that Phil has at this point in the movie here on February 1st. I guess let's let's move on to Rita. So what do you think of Rita here in, in this first minute? She's like the brand new producer. And uh, I get the impression like she feels very childlike. Uh, honestly, yes. in, in this in this first day, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking she she comes across like a little kid. Um, you know, she she seems kind of like, you know, this is her first job or something like that, which I don't think is true. I, I wonder at times if the part was initially written for someone maybe a little bit younger, uh, you know, like it was someone just like fresh out of school or I, I don't know what, but you know, that yeah. wouldn't have gone well with Bill Murray, you know, the, the, yeah, the, in an, in an early, in an early version of the script, uh, Rita was supposed to be like a, a an early twenties, like very, uh, go getter 
type producer. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah, I mean Andy McDowell, I think you know, I I got to admit she's she's not one of my favorite actresses. You know, there there's times when I enjoy her in films and other times where I, I I'm not as thrilled. I think she she works very well with this part. Like you say that kind of childlike quality, you know, that that scene with her um you know, standing in front of the blue screen, which again, I'm kind of like, what, what? You've never seen this before? <laughs> Have you yeah, worked in the news before? Yeah, you're but, you're a TV producer. You've never seen a blue screen or a green screen before. Right, exactly. But you know, even as the the this segment continues, you know, there's other moments there, like when she talks about how she thinks the groundhog thing is cute. You know, he, he pokes his little head out <laughs> and he, you know, he sniffs around, he sees the shadow. He doesn't see a shadow. It's cute. You know, uh, you know, and, and that's so sweet and innocent. And then Bill Murray's come back to that. Again, you know, it's, it's bad Phil at that point, you know, he's, <laughs> you are new, aren't you? You know, <laughs> it just, yeah, he just it immediately takes- makes fun of her. Yeah, takes down everything that she just did there. And she has no problem with it. She kind of plays along with it. She doesn't get upset or angry or anything. You know, when he says, you know, people are dumb. People like blood sausage, you know. And, and, you know, she ends the scene by saying, I like blood sausage, you know. And uh, I, I've always loved that moment. Yeah, I, I think that's funny. And, and and one one thing that I was kind of curious about that, like I, I hadn't really thought about it before. But do you think that she actually, that she honestly likes blood sausage or if she's <laughs> just know. being like an anti-contrarian like yeah you know bill bill murray phil is being so negative that she just has to try and inject some positivity so even if she doesn't really like blood sausage she she would just be like oh yeah i like blood sausages yeah i don't know if anybody really likes blood sausage but you know it's, <laughs> it's a cute moment for sure yeah yeah and definitely i i would say that you know her little groundhog scene you know i i watched this this first day a few times here before we recorded that that's every time that that was my favorite part it, it always you know put a put a smile on my face just something about the way that she she delivers that yeah yeah like you said it's got that very sweet childlike innocence to it um and then again i think it's just it's enhanced even more when uh, you know Bill Murray responds and he does his own little version, he wrinkles up his nose and <laughs> waves his arms around <laughs> and all that. Yeah, just being, you know, him being mean to pretty much to to everybody around him, which at this point is just Rita and Larry, and uh, he he doesn't really say too much about Larry. Although we do get to we do get a little bit of Larry's backstory with him talking about spending six years in San Diego covering the. Capistrano. Yeah, and I I always wonder about this as to why Larry would go from San Diego to Pittsburgh uh, because I mean for one thing I mean stark difference in the weather there I mean you don't have to deal with snow in San Diego uh, you know I mean part of the whole theme of this movie is just that that bleak winter thing you know and and everything looks so cold and the trees are all barren and stuff and i'm every time i get to the scene i go why did you leave san diego man you know but i would have thought that san diego would be a bigger market than pittsburgh but i don't know uh well and and of course it could always be that you know larry was in a small news station in san diego and then he was able to transfer to the biggest station in pittsburgh I suppose that could be it. Yeah. Every time I've ever been to Pittsburgh, it's it's kind of like it is in this movie. It's it's, you know, in wintertime, it's overcast. 
it's cloudy the there's no leaves on the trees uh i always feel a little bit closed in there because it's very hilly there in pittsburgh and you know the the roads kind of wind around the hills and and uh you know I, I i always never have a clear picture of where i am there just because everything's all twisty and turning and i got into some of the worst traffic jams in my life in pittsburgh the way those bridges work all over the city because they've got like three rivers that converge there and the bridges are all going in different directions and they're like on top of each other i want to say there were even like there's like double deckered bridges i think and i remember being on one once and i had to like quickly move across like three lanes of traffic to get to where i needed to be it's just i i don't like driving in pittsburgh at all <laughs> i i can't really speak to that myself the the farthest east i've been is oh well i guess georgia in the midwest i i never made it farther east than ohio well i think one of the good things about pittsburgh is it's the uh, the home of mr rogers you know and uh like when you go to the airport, I remember they had a little display of Mr. Rogers puppets in the airport. So that was a thrill for me. We do get to see them, the drive from Pittsburgh to Punxsutawney, which were pretty much the only scenes that, that were filmed in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. because the uh, Groundhog Day's town of Punxsutawney was actually filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, someplace that uh, both of us have actually been to. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you want to give your backstory first on that? And then I can tell what my connection to Woodstock is. You know, I spent about six years in the, in the Chicago suburbs um, myself living up there. You know, my first couple of years I lived in, in a smaller suburb called Cary, Illinois. And that's just about, you know, two or three suburbs away from Woodstock, Illinois just right past uh, Crystal Lake, if I remember. Yeah, not not Jason Voorhees' Crystal <laughs> Lake, but yeah. Although at, at the time, you know, I was aware of it, but I never really had much of a reason to go to Woodstock. I think I only went there once or twice. And I unfortunately, I never did any Groundhog's Day sightseeing, although I, I was in the, the town square whenever I went there. So I, I have mm -hmm. been there personally at least once. Yeah, the town square is kind of the, the focal point of the town. I have been there many, many times. Uh, I also spent many years of my life in the Chicago area. I grew up in the suburb of Wheaton, uh, but uh, I went down to college in Peoria, uh, met a girl, fell in love. We got married. She is from Woodstock. And so I spent... Uh, a lot of times in Woodstock. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first time that I went to meet her parents uh, was during the filming of this movie. So the first time I showed up in Woodstock, the town was all decked out for this movie. It had all the uh, the Groundhog Day decorations around. I remember driving around the town square and uh, seeing like the the little garbage cans that have the Groundhog head on them that you see in this movie. In fact, I think you see one uh, right kind of towards the end of this segment that we're talking about uh, between um, Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott, as they're saying the, uh, did you, did he say he was the talent? You know, you see one of those in the background. So those were all over the place and, and other places around the town that, um, you know, were not necessarily filming locations had Groundhog Day stuff just all over it. Cause the whole town was celebrating it. it I mean, Woodstock's a, a a sizable enough place, but it's not, I'm trying to think how to describe it. I mean, it's, it's a more rural area where Woodstock is. It's not 
down in the heart of the, the Chicago suburbs. This is up closer to the Wisconsin border. And, uh, you know, it's not like where you have one town just running into the another one, uh, like where I grew up. You know, like you said, you know, you have like Cary and then, you know, if you, you know, you go through some farm space and then you have like Crystal Lake and then there's more farm space and there's Woodstock. You know, it's it's a little bit more rural, though. It is a, a community that has grown a lot, uh, you know, even in the, the you know, 25 years or so since this movie was made. They really celebrate uh, Groundhog Day there to this day. They've got a lot of things set up around the town square to kind of mark the different locations. And then uh, Dick Tracy is the other thing they celebrate because uh, the creator of Dick Tracy, Chester Gould, spent a good portion of his life living in the Woodstock area. Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know about that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in this sequence of, uh, of Groundhog Day, as they enter into you know, what is Punxsutawney in the movie, actually, actually Woodstock, um, you see a few sites that – uh, you know, have some connection to the the Dick Tracy celebration aspect of things. Uh, as the the news van is first driving into the town, you see it drive down a street uh, and past the movie theater, which is going to play into the film later on. And you mm-hmm. see on the marquee that it's showing uh, Heidi Two, <laughs> a family classic. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I've been to that movie theater several times. Um, actually, I remember on the eve of my wedding, my my wife, my future wife, and I went and saw Maverick there. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, that movie theater actually hosted the premiere of the movie Dick Tracy uh, when it came out in 1990. You know, again because of uh, Woodstock's connection to Chester Gould, somehow it was arranged for them to do a big premiere of Dick Tracy there at that movie theater. And Warren Beatty and Madonna were there. It was a big deal for the town. So, um, so yeah, that, uh, that movie theater uh, has, has also some movie history outside of Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, I did just a, a little bit of research on some of the locations and, you know, that theater, it's, it's owned by a chain called Classic Cinemas. There's quite a few of them in, in and around the Chicago suburbs. I never went to that one, but I did go to a different classic cinemas. And their their whole thing is a lot of their locations, they take classic theaters and then they update them, start and show modern movies there to, to keep basically keep them alive. Yeah, I the movie theater in the downtown of where I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, they have this great old movie theater downtown that to my knowledge is still just sitting there empty right now. You know, there's an effort to try and restore it and bring it back to its former glory, but it's, it's just, they've been having trouble taking off. But I remember as a kid going into that movie theater and it it was one big screen back there. Uh, In my teenage years, they broke it down into four screens, which was just, kind of heartbreaking but back in its glory days when it was one big screen and it's just very majestic looking inside it looked like the muppet show theater in there it had even had the box where like statler and waldorf would sit uh i remember sitting right under that box in the worst seat in the house to watch the empire strikes back back in 1980 packed house terrible seat but i loved it because it was the empire strikes back so but yeah i love those old kind of movie theaters and and to my knowledge i don't think they split that one in woodstock up into several screens i think it stayed kind of as you know one 
kind of classic looking type of theater. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then we also see the uh, Pennsylvanian Hotel, which is actually mm-hmm. the Woodstock Opera House. Yes. They show a lot of uh, theater productions there, and and it's still still running today. Yeah, my uh, my wife, I believe, I'm not sure if she played in like a school band there for productions or things like that. I want to say she told me once she did some ushering there, but uh, supposedly it's haunted. I think there's like a chair in the balcony or something like that 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 folks say is supposedly haunted. Yeah, it's it's a great old theater type of building i've been in there a few times they've got some nice things in the lobby area that kind of show you the history of things i remember going there at christmas time once and it was kind of the the point to uh to get picked up and and you know take a little horse-drawn carriage ride around the uh the woodstock square so yeah it's it's a cool place and um that's where also of course that's where later in the movie bill murray jumps off the tower of that and i remember my um my my future in-laws were there that day when that was shot or actually no they, i was going to say they took some pictures but they didn't take some pictures because i remember they even posed and and got supposed with bill murray and have their picture taken and then got home and realized there was no film in the camera <laughs> so <laughs> oh that's that's great yeah that and that actually reminds me i i heard that one of the ghost stories was that there was an actress named Elvira, uh, not that Elvira, but, uh, and she actually jumped off the, the top of the, uh, theater. Yes, I think, uh, and she's supposed to be one of the ghosts that haunted. Yeah, I was gonna say, I thought that I had heard that, that possibly one of the, uh, you know, supposed ghosts actually jumped off the tower, so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that whole Woodstock Square is, is a really, really cool place. Uh, you know, I mean, if you're ever, driving through that area you know it's it's you know very easy to just kind of pull off the highway uh that that uh, goes through town there and go over to the historic woodstock square you know there's a uh, open area where they've got the gazebo and things like that you know a few years ago we were back home visiting the area and we went and took in a little concert that was going on there um they, I think they actually do like a, a an annual screening out there as well of Groundhog Day in the summertime. So we weren't there for that. That would have been a lot of fun. As they're dar- driving through, we also see one other location. You can just make it out, but they drive past the sign for the Tip Top Cafe. Yes. Which it's yeah. It it wasn't an actual, or it, I think it was vacant at the time that they were making the movie, and they kind of took it over and. And, you know, used it as a filming location. And then somebody decided, well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just open it up. And I think it stayed the Tip Top Cafe for several years after that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think they actually called it the Tip Top Bistro. And then it's the, it closed yes. in 2012. And now it's a, a Mexican restaurant. That's what I was going to say. I think the last time I was there that it was a Mexican restaurant. So, <laughs> And that's right basically in front of where you know, the puddle is, uh, you know, or what they, it's kind of down the block. Like I say, they've marked a lot of these locations in Woodstock. So uh, you have Ned's Corner kind of down the block, and then the puddle is right in front of where the tip top was. And um, there's a little plaque on the ground that has a, like a footprint on it. And it says, Bill Murray stepped here. (laughs) Yeah, Bill Murray stepped here a few hundred times. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the town square too, I mean, I, 
you know, uh, it's actually been used in a number of other things. I mean, every now and then I've spotted like a commercial or something like that. I think there's been some car commercials and I'm looking at it and go, oh, my gosh, that's Woodstock, you know, um, or there is another movie that has a brief segment that was filmed in that town square. And that's uh, planes, trains and automobiles. There's a there's a brief scene towards the end of the movie. It's where um, Steve Martin and John Candy get picked up by a milk truck and they, they end up ri- riding back in the refrigerated section of the milk truck. Um, but Steve Martin's like sitting on a park bench and the truck pulls up. That's on the, the Woodstock Square there. Yeah, I, I believe it was actually, uh, I want to say, like the, the director of photography that mentioned um, I, I saw just like a quick blurb talking about that, that uh, I think it was the director of photography or, or some other person involved in planes, trains and automobiles that was the one that suggested Woodstock to Harold Ramis. And that's mm-hmm. that's what brought them there for Groundhog Day. And I've always heard the legend basically saying that part of the reason Harold Ramis ended up filming in Woodstock. Well, two things. Number one, it, that it had a town square and that would work very well for the filming. I think the real Punxsutawney doesn't have a town square or, you know, for that matter, you know, most communities in Pennsylvania, town squares weren't really a thing out there, in my understanding. But um, but then also, I think I read that Harold Ramis's parents lived in the Chicago area. And so uh, he was able to spend time visiting them during the filming of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always nice whenever filmmakers get to have an ulterior motive for their filming locations. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Bill Murray has roots in the Chicago area too as well, so, yeah. Now, get, getting back to the the time loop aspect of, of this movie, I know this is, you know, the, the first day, it's before we see any of the time loops, so the, this is clearly, you know, day one in... Bill Murray's or Phil Connors time loop, there are a lot of different uh, varying theories based on how long Phil Connors actually spends repeating Groundhog Day. How long do you personally think that Phil Connors spent stuck in, in Groundhog Day? <laughs> I, I I have grappled with this and, you know, it, it's hard to nail down, but I, I think I have to fall into one of those camps that says that it was probably several years uh, ultimately. And I'm basing that primarily on some of the things that he ends up being able to do by the time we reach the end of the movie, you know, specifically like the, um, how proficient he becomes at playing the piano, which I'm thinking that had to take some time, you know, I mean, not just going for the lesson, but then practicing further and all that stuff. I mean, you know, he's, he's pretty slick at that when all is said and done. So that would have taken quite a bit of time. Um, there's a, there's a scene that's deleted um, where he, I think bowls a 300 game, you know, cause there's, there's other moments in the bowling alley uh, where he's got the two drunks there and, and all that. And, you know, I've, my 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 in-laws that was where they they did their league bowling i bowled in that alley several times again getting to the point where you could bowl a 300 game that would have had to take a long time as well so you know i i don't know that i could pinpoint an exact number of years but i i i mean i'm thinking it's got to be several yeah like six or seven years something like that i think that's that's where i fall yeah i i wouldn't be surprised and i'm not quite ready to to put my number out there just yet i i will by the time we get to the end, uh, once I 
you know, view this film from a, a more statistical standpoint. <laughs> I'm at day one, but I, I, I agree. I, I think, I think that he does take a lot of shortcuts and a lot of the things that he learns how to do. I, I don't think that I, I agree with uh, one of the common, common ideas out there surrounding this, the, the whole, 10,000 hours which itself is is kind of a flawed concept to begin with because the the whole idea that 10 hour 10,000 hours of doing anything will make you an expert at it mm-hmm. but it a lot of that really depends on your natural talent because for some some things you know 10,000 hours you you can still be crap at it if you just Well don't. yeah you could spend 10 10- Spent 10,000 hours trying to learn something, but learning it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I think with Phil, one thing that I think most people can agree on based on what we do eventually see in the movie is he has an excellent memory. Because if you mm-hmm. think about it, especially in this one, uh, in this time loop, you know, he can't write anything down. He can't, you know, leave notes for himself. He has to keep everything that he learns inside his head yeah yeah it's a good point so i i think that he has you know a natural memory which probably helps helps him to learn things quick quickly and also early on i i think he takes a lot of shortcuts because he's just his personality especially you know what we see in this this first day with him being this kind of narcissistic you know he's very self-centered and he just wants to get things done as quickly as he can with the least amount of personal effort that he can put into it. So that way he can have yeah. more time to do whatever he would rather be doing, which we, we don't really mm-hmm. get much of that other than, you know, one day with the drunks, he talks about um, vacation in the Virgin Islands. Yeah. You know, one other thing that, I, that I'm kind of curious in terms of... of the time loop and and getting into things that we don't see in the movie because you know even if he does only spend a few years like five to ten years within this loop that means that there are a lot of days that we don't see what would be one day that you're pretty sure must have happened to phil but we don't get to see in the movie oh my gosh um hmm Something he would have done. I should have thought about this better. You gave me this question beforehand, and I thought, I, I looked at it and I thought, oh, I, and I had some thoughts. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe where, you know, like, I mean, if he's been in the town so long by the time we reach the end of things and everyone starts to kind of celebrate him, you know, maybe actually having him take on a a more of a leadership role in some of the community stuff like they actually let him you know put on the top hat or whatever and and, you know do the pulling the groundhog out of the the thing or i I, that probably wouldn't have happened though because that happens early in the day okay here's a better answer that he would have actually run up there stolen the hat off of brian doyle murray's character and then reached in and grabbed the groundhog out himself and just you know taken it upon himself to do it once oh yeah (laughs) I, I could definitely see, you know, an, an early you know, bad Phil doing that at, during one of his days. That That is totally in, in line with bad Phil's personality. 
Yeah. In that, in those scenes where he's getting frustrated, where he's getting suicidal, you know, that, that might've been a good thing to do. I think that just about, you know, wraps up this, this first day. Is, is there anything else, you know, we see in these uh, first seven minutes that, that you want to talk about? One thing I want to throw out that we didn't hit on, you mentioned before that, you know, there is a chunk of this section that is credits. Uh, you know, first we have the little cloudy sky credit thing and yeah, like we have the time that little... lapse clouds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's got that, that music playing on there, which is, I, I'm not sure how to ex- describe the music. It's not really a polka, but it's kind of like that, you know, it's got a clarinet, I think, you know, kind of, Fun little music. I've always kind of liked that little playful theme that plays there. And then, you know, after the weather report and the credits continue during, you know, basically their drive from Pittsburgh to Punxsutawney, um, you know, we have this this little song that plays, which, you know, I mean, is not a hit single from a movie by any stretch of the imagination. This this little song about, you know, I'm your weatherman or whatever, which yeah. I always thought this is the most bizarre little song, <laughs> but it's so darn catchy. I just can't resist it. I, I, I am guilty of having played this on like Amazon music before. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I believe the, the singer is, is there. Uh, Delbert, Delbert McClinton. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, peaked at number eight on the hot 100. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did it peak? Punxsutawney? <laughs> Woodstock, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely never never heard this song outside of this movie, but yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's a nice little catchy catchy song, and it also plays into the whole romantic comedy aspect that uh, you know it it doesn't exactly you know predict the it, it's there's not really foreshadowing for the their relationship, but you know it it, it is kind of fun because it's you know Phil's a weatherman, and you know it's a romantic comedy song about it with a lot of weather puns in it yeah yeah it's it's i i have a soft spot for you know movie songs uh and this is this is a weird one but I kinda <laughs> like it. all right well you know thanks for thanks for joining me today on this first episode of first of many why don't you go ahead? First of many. Are, are you saying we're going to do it again? We're caught in a time loop ourselves and we have to do this over and over again? I'll think of something better to say next time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, it, it was fun. I, I'm glad it, it was good to, to get back uh, into podcasting again. You know, I've done a few guest spots, but it's good to be hosting again and doing doing something that's my own. And, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and let everybody else, you know, where they can find you if they, they want to find more of your work. Oh, sure. I've got all kinds of stuff out there. The The main blog is found. It's called Forgotten Films. It's called that. It, it's found at ForgottenFilmCast.wordpress.com. Uh, that's also where you can find links to my podcast, which is called The Forgotten Filmcast. Uh, we we basically talk about what I call the movies that time forgot. So, you know, not the big hits, not the classics. It's the stuff that nobody talks about anymore. So we, we give them a little love there. Um, I have another podcast, uh, which is called Walt Sent Me. It's all about Disney movies, but I always say it's about Disney movies in the grand scheme of things uh, because Disney has owned a lot of different studios over the years. So, you know, on one episode, we might talk about one of the Disney animated films. On another one, we might talk about something from touchstone pictures or hollywood pictures or when they owned miramax or you know 
Marvel or Star Wars. You know, we, we talk about anything that falls under the Disney umbrella there. Uh, so check that one out as well. And uh, I also have another blog that has nothing to do with movies. Uh, it's just basically where uh, I'm going out and exploring different things around the area where I live in Denver, Colorado. So it's called In and Around Denver, and that's at iadenver.blogspot.com. All right. And, you know, I am Bubba Wheat, and my, my main site where you can uh, find this podcast and reviews for over 500 other superhero and comic book movies is at flights tights and movie com, and you can find my other podcast which i haven't done in a few years but hopefully i'll be coming bringing it back in the hiatus is film wise that's w-h-y-s and that's where i cover you know two films uh, a film that's a classic film that's new to me and a superhero film that's new to my guest and you can also find this podcast. Uh, you can search for It's Time to Rewind. You can find it at anchor.fm. You should be able to find it anywhere else that uh, the podcasts are at. I haven't figured out a, a way to sign off this podcast, but, you know, I'll see you on the flip side, I guess. <laughs> I'm a god. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? I'm a god. There wasn't one today. I got you, I got you, Did he actually call himself the talent?